Welcome to the Australian Macadamia Society podcast. Listen in as we speak with macadamia growers, researchers and industry experts leading the way in best practice macadamia farming. For more information on anything you hear today, please head to our website, australianmacadamias.org industry. Good day everyone, I'm Leonie Crietton, the Industry Development Manager for the Australian Macadamia Society. And today I'm with Alan and Jarrah Coates of Coates Horticulture. They're two macadamia consultants that have worked in the industry for a long time. And uh, they have uh, an enormous amount of knowledge and today we're talking about biodiversity in a macadamia orchard and what it actually means. So thanks Alan and Jarrah for joining me today. Thank you, Leone, for the invitation. Leone, thanks for having us. So, Alan and Jarrah, can you tell us something about your background in, in the macadamia industry? Uh, I've been in the macadamia industry for about 35 years um, as a consultant and, I guess, an educator because I teach courses and uh, present workshops, speak at conferences, um, field days and research forums, um, as well as spending a lot of time in the field. And yourself, Jarrah? Uh, I've been a consultant since 2001, um, primarily um, uh, pest and disease management, checking macadamia crops, um, soil and leaf sampling, some of that as well. And we need to congratulate you that uh, as of this year, you're the Macadamia Industries Young Achiever of the Year. So congratulations. Thank you very much. That certainly is, it's, a, it's great to have you today chatting about some of the topic that, uh, that you were nominated for. So what are some of the changes that you've seen uh, in the industry, Alan and Jarrah? Uh, I guess that one of the, when I started in the industry, we were hand harvesting. So I've seen the introduction of mechanical harvesting into our industry. Um, I've also seen a significant increase in research and marketing in the industry. Um, we've seen significant expansion of planting areas, particularly in Queensland and movement down onto the coastal floodplains. I think also we've brought a lot more um, professionalism into the industry, I think, via the AMS and the processes to a large degree. Um, we've brought in a whole range of new varieties. Um, we've also um, spent or put a lot more effort into looking at ground covers on orchard floors and how they benefit the industry and that's very relevant to what we're talking about today. Um, we've also seen the arrival of um, new pests and diseases in our industry over time. Uh, particularly lacebug and macadamia seed weevil, uh, leptochorus and huspot. Uh, yeah, so um, my experience is really the Northern Rivers. Um, so that's where I do all of my work. I don't really get to see m many of the other growing regions. So um, that's where all of um, my information will come from. Um, so over my time in the macadamia industry, I've seen uh, changing practices from when I first started um, uh, herbicide was widely used, um, big wide herbicide strips regularly, people did it just because, um, whereas, uh, you know, that sort of transitioned into zero turn mowers, people, you know, being more aware of ground cover, um, trying to keep um, ground cover and roots uh, to, to minimise erosion. 
Um, changing in management uh, of canopy management, you know, that's been quite a big one. Um, back in the older days, it was vertical hedging, um, and there's lots of new and wonderful ways to tackle canopy management now. Um, yeah, echoing what Dad said a minute ago about some of the pest issues um, in, in my time in the industry, um, certainly has been um, uh, lace bug and, and macadamia seed weevil um, have arrived and caused us some problems. Um, on the other end of things, um, macadamia nut borer was the major pest when I first started and um, you know it's diminished to being a minor pest almost I would say in our area and that's really um, due to the success of, of a biocontroller specific parasitic wasp. So um, yeah, there's some of the things that I've seen in my time I guess. And one of the profound changes that we do talk about is a shift that is happening away from a, a, a monoculture to a more biodiverse orchard. Can you explain what we understand by a monoculture? To me, monoculture is basically about the cultivation of a single crop in a given area. And um, in the macadamia industry, um, we are to a large degree a monoculture, particularly if we have no inter-row or very limited inter-row species. Same sort of thing though, essentially all of one thing, um, no variation of plants, um, a lack of uh, complexity in the ecosystem. So what does that monoculture expose growers to or what does it look like practically for a grower on a day-to-day -day basis? Um, I think it exposes growers to uh, potentially increased um, pest and disease pressure and development of resistance due to um, management based on chemical treatment for pests and diseases where we don't utilise um, the ecosystem's checks and balances that it provides for those things in a normal, normally diverse ecosystem. It also, I think, impacts on below ground issues as far as can lead to imbalances in Nutrients um, have implications for um, water management in the soil from microorganisms, um, which has um, potentially increased risks of pollution of waterways because we take away the filtration processes in the soil system. Um, and we can damage our soil health because of reduction in the microorganism diversity and population. So what you're describing is uh, macadamias above the ground and pretty much on the orchard floor, either nothing, either bare, uh, lifeless soil or a bit of grass in, in some settings. Um, and then you're describing below the ground um, a very lifeless environment which the roots are growing in. Uh, yes. And all of the, the problems that that brings... Um, we know very well about erosion, we know about um, some of the impacts that we can have, but what about uh, the resilience of that type of orchard to uh, weather events or to you know, drought conditions? Um, have you seen that, how that monoculture can expose growers to those types of conditions? Um, okay, yeah, so I guess we've just experienced some of the, the worst drought conditions I've ever seen since I've been in the macadamia industry in last season. Um, it did seem apparent that some of the, the orchards that um, 
uh, fared better in those conditions were orchards that uh, either added organic matter or had higher organic matter levels and were able to retain higher soil moisture and, and um, the trees maybe didn't suffer as badly. Obviously, there's other factors there at play like soil type and that sort of thing are, are really quite important. So um, biodiversity, uh, what are some of the benefits then? What does a, a biodiverse orchard look like and what are some of the benefits for a grower? Uh, I think what biodiversity um, can do for an orchard is, is it provides uh, some buffering for our ecosystem um, in our orchards. Can I jump in? Yeah. Okay, so it provides habitat for a range of different organisms. So if you, in a monoculture, if there's limited uh, floral reserves, for example, for, for pollinators or, or you know, uh, parasitic wasps, the adult stages really like, uh, need pollen and nectar. And if that's not there, then obviously that environment is unsuitable for them to thrive. So if you can encourage um, diversity of plants and particularly flowering plants, you, know, you can support a whole wide range of um, organisms, being insects and other things as well, um, which potentially lead into what Alan's talking about there is um, buffering pest incursions. Um, you know, some examples of some things like that would be what I just mentioned, parasitic wasps. If you have um, uh, habitat for them in the orchard, they can perform pest management roles for you. If that's not there, then, you know, they're not going to be there and not perform those services for you. Mm. Also, pollination, obviously, bees, flies, um, all that sort of thing that um, uh, birds, a whole range of, of organisms that can benefit your orchard. And if uh, there is no habitat for them, then you know, they're not going to visit the orchard. And having a diversity of plant species provides a diversity of above ground habitat and it also um, below ground root systems that support a diverse range of microorganisms. And what that does is buffer or minimise the threat of pest or disease species predominating. So we get natural suppression of pathogens. And um, so diverse ground covers provide a diverse below ground system, which provides balance and protection for, for the root system, as well as encouraging root growth, which is critical to performance of macadamia trees. Now, a lot of growers know about uh, parasitic wasps that you can release into the orchards, amazing biological controls, but there are other natural predators that do an amazing job if we provide the right environment that they want to live there. Can you give us some examples of those? Yeah, sure. There's lots of um, generalist um, organisms that um, maybe aren't as specific as a, a, a parasitoid which um, relies um, directly on, on an individual, but um, you know, spiders, predatory bugs, um, birds, those sort of things that um, play a more general role in, in eating insects. And, um, you know, insects are food for other insects. So people think maybe all bugs are bad, and that's certainly not the case. If there's more um, insect life there, then the food web, a diverse food web, and those in ecological interactions are more complex and um, 
you know, potentially can control pests to some degree. And Alan, I'm sure you've seen a lot of that where, unfortunately, with, you know, too harsh of crop protection um, mechanisms, we've selected for a specific pest in some orchards. Oh, definitely. And um, I, I guess when I go into orchards, if I don't see any activity, I'm really concerned because it's really about balance in the organisms that we have in the orchard. And like we've said, you've got to provide a habitat and the environment that supports and encourages those. And um, I work with orchards where um, we let interrows grow. Um, we don't specifically plant species into it, which is one of the options that we have. We let the interrows grow as soon as we uh, finish harvesting. And we've got examples where we find the presence of, or we have found the presence of, uh, lacebug in those orchards every year for a period of about seven years. Um, we have yet had to spray for lacebug um, because of the natural predation and parasitism that we see from the beneficial insects that the interrow supports. Um, we also see in that situation we don't have thrip problems, which I really think are primarily a secondary pest issue. Um, so again, it shows that the broad spectrum insecticides uh, compromise our natural system's ability to keep what we'd call secondary pests under control. So we're looking for this biodiverse orchard, which uh, takes advantage of nature's balanced control that it brings. Um, but it's not just a philosophical goal. This is an economic one too. So growers are making economic decisions. Um, can you expand on that at all? I think that's critical that it has to be an economic decision. Examples um, in, the, say, the number of insecticides that we, we may apply a year, in a, a balanced um, biologically based system, we look at probably between two and four insecticide sprays a year as compared to six to seven insecticide sprays on, under a calendar spray program. And so there's significant savings in time and cost as far as uh, labour, machinery costs and chemicals that we um, you know, occurs then. We have other issues. The less time we run machines in orchards, the less compaction we have. Um, and so that is, is an issue that we have to deal with. If we um, let into rows grow, we have less mowing and there's a significant cost saving in doing that. Um, we need to be practical in what we do because um, we're running a business. And if we, we monitor what's going on in the orchard, there are occasions when we do have to spray, but we need to make those decisions based on information that we collect out of the orchard rather than on a calendar basis. Um, so a couple of the uh, sites that we do that have um, uh, employed some interrows into their orchards, um, interestingly with um, being conscious of, of the economics, some people have gone in spent a lot of money and, and had some really good results but on the other end people have had minimal imports and some seeding you know letting seed get through to 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 flower and then seed head and then rebuilding the seed bank and managing that and so being aware of costs not having to to renew that all the time and like uh, dad said a minute ago um even just letting uh, you know the natural seed bank come through and there's some benefit in that in supporting beneficial in insects particularly as well so um, you know it 
you don't have to be, growers don't have to be daunted by it's going to cost too much. Doing something is better than, than doing nothing. And, um, you know, you can have a, a, a positive impact on your orchard with not spending too much money. Um, one of the, the sites that, uh, that, that uh, we do is, um, I do two of the case study sites, the IPM case study site for Northern Rivers um, is using an interrail and has had some really interesting results on that farm. Ian who's been there, she knows the, the orchard quite well. Um, and uh, lots of beneficial insects, um, a wide range of, of beneficials. Um, Ross has, has done some seeding in, in his orchard um, seen some, yeah, really interesting results with, with Lacebug. He is a site um, that has minimal spray inputs. Um, I can't say that that would be the case for all farms, but his particular site, um, you know, he did one indoxicarb treatment last season and that was basically it. So, you know, I can't say there's many sites that have <laughs> achieved those sort of results. Um, you know, but in saying that, different farms have different pressures and, and that may not be achievable for everyone. But um, yeah, same sort of experience with Lacebug at Ross's place. We've had some little flare-ups in, in the past few seasons. We've done some very small spot spraying. It hasn't had to do any whole orchard treatments. And, um, you know, we think that that is suppression from the, the interrow. We don't know exactly what the um, predator or parasitoid may be on the lace bug. We've seen, you know, small spiders eating lace bug, um, lacewing larva eating lace bug. Um, uh, in the lab, we've seen there's an aureus bug that can can eat lace bug as well. Um, but yeah, maybe there's something else going on there that we haven't actually observed. But uh, yeah, suppression seems to be taking place in the orchard. And certainly that, that um, bioresources project, that Intero project, uh, which was levy funded, has shown an enormous amount of um, arthropod species and the increase in it with any Intero planting, whether it's managed or, or not managed or just let, like you say, grow on its own. Uh, yeah, I think that's fantastic. It's, what's been good is that we've been able to um, document what's going on to an extent in the interrows, where in the past we'd seen it and had a lot of anecdotal experience and evidence but um, and had a good idea that it went on. So to be able to actually put some figures on it, I think is really important to convince people um, that, you know, there are benefits there. Yeah, Richard and Abigail and Chris have actually got some good data there on thrips, numbers of thrips, and that's one of the things to come out of the, the, their case study sites, which Ross's isn't actually one of those sites, but um, uh, yeah, out of those sites is, is reduction in thrips, and that's probably from um, predation on, on, on thrips, suppression of thrips from, from beneficial insects. So what are some of the hindrances uh, on a farm level or an industry level to adoption of these more sustainable practices we're talking about? I, I think one of the concerns is um, lack of knowledge and uh, fear of creating problems. The classic one we hear when we talk about letting interrows grow is rats and the problems we'll have with rats, which we can monitor easily and um, isn't really an issue that we, we can't deal with. Um, and so I think changing growers' mindset is really critical and um, for them to be able to see practical examples where people are getting um, documented benefits is really important in changing 
the, the mindset? In the rat management uh, research that's been done, there's more rats are supported by a bush outside Sorry. of the orchard than are supported by the interrows, even though they might potentially, you might see a rat in an interrow, it's not supportive of that species as much as that from outside of the orchard is. Yeah, that's true. We do a lot of orchards and, um, and comparably between the orchards that have interrows and the orchards that don't, there isn't any significant um, increase in rat activity in the orchards that have interrow. And where there is some, some rat activity in those orchards, it is, like Alan said, it's easy, easily manageable. You can mulch that section where there might be a burrow out and use the, the cheetah to gas the hole. You know, it, it is very manageable. And, you know, that was one of the things early on that people said, oh, you can't do it because, you know, there's going to be a harbour for rats. And that just wasn't the case in our experience. So in terms of uh, what we've spoken about today, this goal of a, of a biodiverse orchard what is next for uh, a grower or for our industry to achieve this? Uh, there's a couple of things that growers can potentially do, um, which we've touched on a few of them. Um, so changing mowing habits, that is probably the easiest thing to do is mow less <laughs> um, and let some of the, the natural interrobe grow, especially um, to flower and, and seed head. Um, if it's flowers, then it can support a range of insects. Um, you know, they might go to uh, mowing every second row, you know, changing up how they're doing their mowing. Plant the year, so planting an interrow, you know, with a cedar, that is that is certainly something that people can do. Um, and there's more opportunity these days in some areas in the orchard where, uh, with IOM, where people have done row removal or done drainage areas where they've opened up large sections um, where in a mature orchard you may not have the light, suitable areas for light to grow an interrow, but if you have done um, uh, row removal, let's say, and you plant that with, with uh, flowering plants, um, you know, that can assist erosion management, but also supply habitat for, for beneficials. Other things too, like um, birds probably are, are, are underrated. Um, insectivorous birds in the orchard, we see them um, and they uh, feed on, on, on insects. So um, small birds, thornbills and silver eyes and warblers and things like that. Um, so you, if you can plant small shrubs, flowering shrubs, prickly shrubs particularly, so they can have protection from um, predation from other birds. Um, yeah, so refuge for them. Um, that's probably good in, you know, blank ends where trees have been taken out or on headlands or something like that. I know there was actually some work that um, uh, Native B, Steve McGinnity and um, the LLS were looking at doing to, to have a, a, a successional flowering calendar. And that sounds really interesting, things like that, to encourage pollinators and birds and, and have turnover of, of floral resources for beneficials year-round. That sounds great. Um, uh, other things, you know, if you're in an area where you have rainforest, um, remnant rainforest or remnant, remnant bush, um, if you can link those up, that's beneficial to, uh, to biodiversity for movement corridors for, for animals. Um, Hollows in trees, birds obviously for microbats as well. Um, then 
regenerating areas in your orchard. There's, uh, I've taken by exotic weeds, you know, planting native species that support um, native uh, organisms is, is certainly of benefit too. Anything else? Oh, one of the things that I very recently heard about that looks interesting is that there's potential for biodiversity credits, a little bit like carbon credits, and there's actually um, an organisation now that's looking at doing that. And so I think that sounds really quite exciting and quite an incentive for uh, farmers and particularly macadamia farmers because I think they're well suited to be able to do that. But in, in many ways, some of the biodiversity credits come from an increase in production. And, and so an increase of a biodiverse below ground uh, setting uh, we know is going to be a more productive orchard. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to listen to you and uh, we appreciate all of your expertise and your sharing with us. Um, it's been thank a you. pleasure. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to the Australian Macadamia Society podcast. For more information on anything you heard today, please head to our website, australiamacadamias.org industry or phone the AMS on 1800 262 426.